Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about, we're going to talk about addiction and we're going to basically tell you why nobody needs addiction treatment. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can solve addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Okay, Mark, um, doesn't treatment help some people? Well, before we get into that, um, I'm going to, I want to define what we're talking about. And um, when people uh, talk about uh, treatment, they usually are talking about rehab, right, in general. And nobody really parses out what's meant by treatment. They say, oh, yeah, you went to rehab. And uh the question becomes, what is being treated at rehab? Now, I'll tell you this. There is one area where people are treated when it comes to an addiction, and that is detox. Oh, now, yes, that's true. So so first, what I want to say is, if you have a physical dependency with alcohol or benzodiazepines and several other drugs related to that, um, you may need to detoxify your body so that when you stop using alcohol or benzos, uh, you can do that safely. And barring that, um, there's not much reason for detoxification. And even with people that are heavy drinkers or heavy benzo users, you don't necessarily need detox. It's only in extreme cases where it's necessary. But that's what doctors are for. And that's a physical detoxification process. In other words, you a detox at a hospital or a private clinic that deals with detox is basically a poison control center for the body. And it's and it's the same nearly every time. It's very predictable and finite. Yep. Yep. And you know, benzos can take up to twenty some odd days to come off of in real heavy situations where the detox is intense and dangerous. Uh, so you may need to be in detox for a while to taper um, safely. And then alcohol can be as much as two weeks max. And those are in really extreme very cases. Very extreme. Very rare. Right. Most most all detox is done within seven days, a seven day window. Yep. And with heroin, it's not necessary because it's not uh, it's not life threatening. Uh, you basically are dealing with a three day flu. So um, I don't want to get every everybody has opinions about opiates because of the misinformation that's out there. But the reality is, within seventy two hours, the vast majority of people are over the problem, and uh, it's uncomfortable. It's miserable in some cases, and in a lot of cases, it's a mild flu or nothing. And so. and if they're being honest, most opiate users will admit that they've detoxed themselves probably multiple times throughout their using career. Yeah. So they get over it and just don't believe all the hype that it's the worst thing in the planet. It's not. There are much worse things in life and people get over it uh, by the hundreds of thousands every week across the world. So um, so that's that's treatment. We just in less than 10 minutes, we described the the only verifiable necessary situation 
when it comes to uh, a treatment for addiction. Right. So uh, nothing else is. Everything else is there's a lot of hocus pocus. There's a lot of um, uh, ideas that people need to be treated, but nobody really talks about what that is. So let's talk about that. That's um, where people think professionals, rehabs, the treatment industry in the West, and now it's being literally farmed out everywhere across the globe, uh, unfortunately. Um, and what they're saying is there's a mental treatment. So, so, and what is that? It's talk therapy. So, mm-hmm. um, where does talk therapy work? Um, statistically, it has some benefits when it comes to things like depression, cognitive behavioral therapies, where they teach you that your your uh, beliefs about uh, life guide your emotions. And if you change your beliefs, it changes your emotions and your feelings about things. Um, that's effective. If you figure out what your beliefs are and you figure out how that how that affects your mood, uh, you can get over depression, anxiety, and all kinds of traumas and stressors in your life, and, and you can uh, adapt. So that's talk therapy. That's an effective form of talk therapy. There's a lot of uh, the catharsis theory where they believe that you, if you relive and talk over your past experiences, that somehow that's beneficial. That's been proven nonsense. Um, talking about your past over and over hmm. for sometimes months or even years it just makes you relive it and is destructive. Right. So It keeps you chained to it. Yep. So you're reliving it and recreating it in your present, which is not uh, positive. That's not to say that you shouldn't talk about your past experiences. Sometimes talking about it with the goal of getting over it and moving on and letting it go is, uh, is basically what the cognitive behavioral therapy style of therapy, uh, is, where it's effective. Um, so... But what is rehab? Rehab isn't any of that, right? No. Rehab is we're going to tell you you're broken. We're going to tell you another myth. First of all, you're not broken. Another myth. We're going to tell you that you're compelled to use. Now, compulsion isn't in your body, okay? It's in your mind, not your brain either. That's in your body. We're talking about a mind-based theory of disease and that is that somehow you are spiritually sick you are mentally sick uh, and that you have these character defects and all of this is um, predicated on an idea of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and theories that Bill Wilson created in the 1930s so it's an outgrowth of that model and um, unfortunately what it does is it makes it sound like treatment is necessary to get over this compulsion, but the problem is the compulsion is a theory too. It's not objectively true. It is something, it is a feeling we have. It's a feeling of importance, a preference for a drug. It's something that we, we want in our lives for personal reasons. But when, when framed as a compulsion, then words like treatment start to enter the equation and we go down a path that's absolutely unnecessary. So you're not being treated when you go to rehab. Make no mistake. They might give you some pills for, for things in some sort of uh, 
idea that we're going to treat your mind with more pills. Now, I want you to think about that. You're trying to get off of drugs or alcohol. You're trying to move past this problem, and they're going to give you more drugs so that you don't take the other drugs and da-da-da-da-da-da. It's silliness. It's silliness. This whole thing is nuts, what we're doing to people. And it's all, again, predicated on this amorphous force called addiction that lies outside of you in wait and compels you to use beyond your will. Where does the will exist? Again, in the mind. So we're talking about treating the mind. We keep going back to that. Do you believe that there is a treatment for the mind? Right. That's Somehow somebody's going to say something that's going to then change your will, your power of will, change your choice-making internally. So some external force at a rehab, at a special place called a rehab, is going to come in and rearrange your thoughts. That's what we're talking about, which is weird. Well, the re- part of the reason um, that now, see now when we started this 30 years ago, um, the majority of people that came to the retreat were not diagnosed with a mental health issue. They were not even not even like depression or anxiety or anything like that. Um, so, but now, Almost every single person that gets here who's been to one or more rehabs is diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder. Um, the most common being, you know, depression, um, which, which they call clinical depression, and then generalized anxiety disorder. And then um, bipolar is like exploding. I mean, if you look at the rates of bipolar diagnoses over the last 30 years, it's it's gone up exponentially. Um, so, so now what they're, and I think it's kind of was like the jig is up. We know that treatment addiction treatment doesn't really do anything, right? Like the, the, the rates of relapse were, are super high and they still are. So now they just kind of were, you know, in an effort to get paid, to keep getting paid, um, the insurance, you know, the insurance scam, so to speak. If you throw some more diagnoses at people, you get reimbursed at higher rates, and and you kind of feel like you're doing something for these people. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna prescribe you an antidepressant, and uh, I'm gonna prescribe you anti-anxiety medications, which, oh by the way, are benzodiazepines. <laughs> yeah, it's it's outrageous. So we've gone so far. In, I think, Michelle, that, that's a good point. So when let's go back in time. When we started in 1989, uh, about 20% of the population that we got at our retreat was on some sort of medication for their addiction. Yeah. Right? And it was seen as almost heretical and weird. Yeah. I was actually diagnosed in 1988, um, but I did, would not take my medication. So right. go figure. <laughs> so, so, um, so, but over the years now, I can't, I can't really think of the last person that we had here that was, was a guest it? that wasn't on medications. I don't think I could name one if I, I had either. to. Um, and now, okay, so, 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 where once we had uh, no medications, then the the insurance companies and the industry realized we're not going to get paid by the insurance companies unless we have a mental diagnosis. So the laws changed yep. across the states and federally. And they said, no, you got to have a mental illness. There's got to be something else going on or we're not reimbursing because none of this shit is working. Right. So then, so then it went in the direction of 
let's put people on a bunch of pills for their moods. Yes. Right? Which, which, because if we can fix their their mood problems, then they're not going to want to use their substance anymore. Right. That's the, That's the theory. Right. And the theory is brain-centered, and that is that your brain chemistry, electrical chemical impulses in brain tissue in this gelatinous protein called the brain, somehow makes thoughts. So in this brain-centered model, if we if we mix up and find the right cocktail inside the cocktail of your brain, we will uh, change your thoughts. Now, that basically negates the idea that you have a mind, which is separate from the brain. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, uh, we have a mind. That's the thing that's in control. So uh, so they, they got the cart before the horse, and that's why it's ineffective. So we see now that... Uh, antidepressants and all these different drugs are no better than placebo and with a ton of side effects so you have an active placebo that tells you oh i got my side effects so i guess i'm not going to be as depressed <laughs> and so so that's where the industry went now that's basically about 10 15 years ago it started just doing that model where they changed the laws to a, to make it so that you had to have a dual diagnosis to get reimbursement then then they started this idea of vaccinating for drug use, meaning if we could find a vaccine for cocaine use, or if we could find a vaccine for uh, drinkers, like and and we all know what that is now, right? Now Trexone, and and then we mm-hmm. had Vivitrol, and now Suboxone, and everybody that goes to detox gets put on Suboxone, and so now we've gone in the direction of, think about this, we're going to treat you with uh, basically, if we were to use a parallel, here, here let me start with this, the Suboxone to heroin is O'Doul's to booze. Yes. Okay? It is heroin light. Yep. You don't get blitzed on it. Uh, you, you can if you shoot up a whole bunch of it. Um, and it just keeps you believing that you need a medication that has a little taste of heroin to it. <laughs> has, right. has the same sort of theory behind it, and that is I'm too weak to stop. Right. Okay, so now what we're doing is we we took the guy on the corner who was or the guy or the woman on the corner who was your dealer and now the doctor is right. So we've shifted the uh, medication for withdrawal really now uh, from the guy in the corner to the, the doctor and the insurance company is reimbursing for your habit. And now they're saying, and I just was looking at the Freedom Model group, our private group, and they're now saying that you have to be basically inoculated with uh, Suboxone for a lifetime because you're all too weak to stop yourself. So here we go again. So we're using chemistry and drugs to stop people from taking drugs for life. Well, and and here's what's here's what's so insane about it there is literally no research that shows that it's necessary or that shows that people all the research shows the opposite that people stop yeah here's what's totally insane prior to 1939 bill wilson's push for the disease concept and mainstreaming it right and his cronies you had a control group for the beginning of mankind to 1939 where there was no disease concept 
and people got over the problem. Now, here's what's even more insane. Even with all this treatment, $40 billion being spent in America annually, our rates of addiction have done nothing but go up. Right. The rates of overdose in the last, I mean, since the whole suboxone being pushed on everyone, um, the rates of overdose have gone up exponentially. And I'm not blaming suboxone. I'm saying there's a definite correlation um, between the idea that you're giving people that they are going to be, want, you know, wanting heroin for life. That's it. You know, and, and that they're always going to want it. And so that when they go on Suboxone, or here's the thing, here's the real tragedy of this. A lot of these people that are overdosing are on multiple substances. And what they're mixing is opiates and benzos, antidepressants, um, alcohol, a lot of times. Um, and these are people that have been to multiple rehabs. Right. So the very recipient of MAT, medically assisted therapies, right? Yeah. Are, are, are the people that are at the worst situations. They might be in a community where overdose is relatively right. common. Um, a lot of them are in sober living communities. That's right. And so we're talking multiple rehabs in, in situations where they may have even had multiple overdoses. And so they're put on a drug to stop themselves from uh, continuing a different drug. And, and the problem is the mindset, right. the idea that you can't think for yourself to stop, that you'll always crave, and that craving is somehow in the body. So we need a bodily exterior drug to inoculate yourself from a craving that happens in the body. But it doesn't happen in the body. Craving is wanting, and that is a product of the mind. So they constantly go to this body-centered theory, and that's why it falls flat, and that's why people are dying left and right. It gives false hope. And then it also gives hopelessness at the same time. So it hooks them into a hopeless narrative and then provides partial hope that, well, the best you're going to do, right? the best you're going to do is lifelong suboxone. You're one of those people that can't stop the cravings, that you're always going to want it. It's like a warm blanket, mm -hmm. you know, and you're always going to want it. That shit makes me sick, okay? Because we know that outside of that narrative, people get tired of heroin, the warm blanket gets really fucking old, and then they move on with their lives. Yeah. You know? And now, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, methadone or suboxone are evil drugs. I don't think they are. If you're No, if, absolutely not. Look, at if you're in, in a situation where you're saying to yourself, I don't want to deal with withdrawal today. I also don't want to deal with my drug dealer on the corner who's got fentanyl-laced heroin all over the place, and two of my friends just died. And you know what? I'll do suboxone as a, as a stopgap measure. Good. Great. Might, yeah. keep, might keep you alive. But God damn it, don't believe the nonsense when the doctors and the professionals, quote unquote, tell you that you need this for the rest of your life. That's nonsense. The very first thing every clinic in the United States should be telling you is that 96% of heroin users get over the problem whether they're treated or not. Exactly. But exactly. here we are. You're now in the mat trap, and you're extending the problem for more years. In the past, when the tenure of heroin was uh, relatively short, it's now lengthening. We see that the problem is lengthening and overdose rates are rising as a long-term suboxone use increases. So this is not a long-term solution. It's not because you can't have a long-term solution when it's not a solution.
<laughs> right, right. When it's not based on truth. That's right. It, it, the problem is, is a lot of these Suboxone and docs and, and people in the treatment world who are trying, you know, look at, I don't think they're evil people. I think people are genuinely trying to help. I think they get very, very concerned about the people that are dying. I think they have the best intentions in mind, the people on the ground, you know, Absolutely. helping people. Um, but they don't have the information. They don't know that there's, that the good news of all of this is most people get over it. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to me that that isn't like screamed from the mountaintops, but it but it doesn't make money. Right. Okay, so you have a system. And again, it's not some diabolical leader, you know, uh, laughing hysterically in the background on piles of cash. It's not like that. No. You know, I don't think the pharmaceutical companies are evil. I don't think no. whether they're making opiates or Suboxone or whatever. I don't think any of that matters. What matters is the truth. And we're here to tell you that you can get over the problem and move on with your life and that you don't automatically have to assume that you're going to forever crave. And, and, and look, at, here's the other tragedy of, of treatment as far as I'm concerned is you, the, this idea um, and, and, and when I'm in the groups and stuff and I say something about nobody's ever powerless, like I'll just make that blanket statement, nobody's ever powerless or, or, or I'll say, you know, the, the, the problem with the AA model and the problem with the treatment model is this idea of powerlessness and then somebody will snipe in and go, they're just talking about being powerless over alcohol. Well, are they really talking about that? Because the, because alcohol is an inert substance. Right. So, so if you have to take on this idea, which in treatment you do, you have to admit it or you're in denial, right? right? So if you take on this idea that I'm powerless over this inert substance called alcohol, then what I'm really saying is that I'm powerless over my thoughts, my desires, my actions, my reactions, I'm powerless over pretty much everything. And so is it any wonder that now we have probably 90% of people with, you know, seeking help in the treatment world, but get diagnosed with mental health issues? If you believe you're powerless, that's the definition of, of having a mental health problem. That, that's a great point. So now we're drifting into the mental world, the world of the mind. So treatment... Uh, so we've already established that treatment is is a bad term. What what the, they're not treating anything, okay? Right. In detox, they're treating something. They're treating right. the meat suit, the physical body, so that you're not poisoned. Once the poison's out, every single thing they are talking about is mental. Yeah. Now, we already explained that they're brain centered, and that's wrongheaded, and it causes all kinds of problems. But what Michelle is saying now is, okay, now when we talk about the mind, when we talk about our thoughts, when we talk about compulsions, when we're using terms like I'm compelled to use, comp compulsions are products of the mind. Right. So now we're saying you have a mental illness that compels you, that forces you to use drugs and alcohol beyond your mental will. So now we're delving into uh, objects of the mind. Now, when treatment starts to talk, they don't see they're not explicit or very um, accurate in their terminology. They just mix and match brain, mind, thoughts, compulsion, a detox, and, and they just toss it all into this giant pot and stir it into hell stew until you're so confused. You just feel like a minion and you need treatment forever. But here's the deal. You 
are in control of yourself always. That's right. So there is no professional that can come along and say to you, you need to do this, you need this uh, combination of recovery activities to stop yourself. Nope, you don't need any of that. You need to make a decision on why you like it, and then you can move on from it when you see using less herb staining as the happier option. That is a product of the mind. That's how humans change. That's how they change everything in their life. There is no other way. There is no other way. There is no professional that can make that happen for you. There is no four walls called treatment. There is no church basement that has special power to make you uh, non-compelled, right? There's no external force. This is just you making a decision. It's decision-making. It's choice-making within the confines of your own autonomous mind. Yeah, exactly. And it's choice making based on your preferences. And and we can't, I had to say online the other day, um, nobody ever does what they don't want to do. That's right. Nobody ever does what they don't see value in doing. And Yeah, and you can't want something no. that doesn't serve you. Exactly. You won't want something you don't think you need. Um, and a lot of times what that compulsion really is is the belief that you need this substance for some value in your life to gain something, um, to escape, to, you know, we have chapter four talks all about all the reasons um, that that people see in, in getting drunk or high, that, you know, all the things they like about it. Um, and, and that's never addressed in treatment. And so when we say nobody needs treatment, um, it's not only that nobody needs it, but nobody should get it. That's right. You you should absolutely go only in one direction. What is the truth about my preference? What is the truth about my personal desire for this drug? Now, I know you're out there going, this is hard to grasp. I, I get that because you've been trained to never talk about why you like it. Right. You've been trained by your wife, your husband, your children, school, health class, movies, treatment, rehabs never talk about why you like it you're told no you should hate it you should want to stop it or or you're a bad person well that that's it that was what I was going to say next is it's it's the way that it's done is you're immoral you know you're you're led to believe that if you like it this makes you this terrible selfish self-absorbed self-centered person and, and well, you may be that person. I don't know you. Um, most people with substance use problems, that's not it. That's not why they like it. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with their preference for it. That's right. It's it's only after you've gone to treatment that you start to frame yourself as this oh monster. Oh, my God, yeah. You know? And now let's let's say that you are a thoughtless, selfish person. I know a little bit about that because I was incredibly thoughtless because I grew up in a household where I I didn't, I was never taught how to think of others. That's the truth. I was only taught how to protect myself and think of myself in some self-protective way. It was an abusive place. It was not good. And so I was very thoughtless and I was very selfish. I was totally consumed in myself and, and it bothered the people around me and my drinking and drugging did exacerbate that. I mean, I was not always a very nice person, mostly because I just didn't know how to be. And it's not an excuse, just reality of my existence. So I had some work to do there. 
and lots of people have work to do there. But it wasn't a cause of my addiction. It wasn't. It really wasn't related to wow. that. It was. It was just how I I was living my life, and I was trying to figure out how to be a happy person. I didn't know how to do that. Um, I was the opposite. I was not thoughtless. I thought way too much about what people thought of me. That's true. Um, you know, I was a caretaker. I was a. You know, I liked, I wanted to make sure everybody was happy around me all the time. Um, I took on everybody's misery. Um, like it was your own. Like, like, it was, like it was your fault. Yeah, like yeah. everything was my fault. So I, I was kind of the opposite. So when somebody like me goes into treatment um, and we're told, you know, you are selfish. You are self-centered. Oh, God, it was so devastating to you. It, it really was. And going into AA and you know, having to do your fourth step and then read it to somebody and, and having, you know, having somebody say to you, well, you know, when you were 10 years old and that happened to you, what was your part in it? And you're like, excuse me, I was being beaten by my father. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe I, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, so th that's the road though, that they go down, that treatment goes down is, because you've liked this activity, it's because you're you're a terrible person, and and that is just not not the case. It doesn't have one does not have anything to do with the other. I know a lot of really terrible self absorbed people who don't use substances. Yeah, yeah. and vice versa. I know a lot of really wonderful selfless giving people who like getting drunk and high. I, I think you're making a good point here, and that is that we're all in this world just trying to figure out shit, right? We're just trying to figure out how to be happy, how to function, how to find joy, and really uh, be happy people. And some people find it in being cruel, and some people find it in being super kind, and there's uh, most of us right in the middle of that somewhere. And here's where things get ugly, though. Treatment. Yeah. Treatment doesn't provide a solution because it's based on the myth that, first of all, addiction is some sort of external nebulous force that attacks you. And if it just it, happens to you, yeah, it just happens to you. Cravings happen to you, and, and, and you're compelled by some force. Um, it's not true. You are you, you are your mind. Think about it. Without your thoughts, what are you? You don't exist. Right. The mind is everything. So if you're thinking, I like this and I need it to be happy, my God, will you do it? Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's That's no right. different than being in a horrifically bad marriage where you're being beaten daily and yet you stay in that marriage and everybody on the outside looks at you and says, what are you, crazy? And you say, well, I do love them. Or right, I do love her. Right. And I, right. Right. Because there's a vestige of you that's looking at that little positive piece. Look at a, a relationship with beer or, or heroin or pot or whatever. It can be the same way. Hey, it gives me a little bit. You yeah, know, exactly. my life is shitty and without it, and I can't imagine it without it. Now, here's, here's what the Freedom Model does it shows you, well, let's look at that. Let's yes. see if it's possible for you to be happier. And, but first, you have to go inside yourself and realize this is just you. You and, and some information, and you have to decide whether you want to change it and give yourself the happy experiment that Steve Slate talks about. And that is, why don't you try abstaining for a period of time until you can figure out if you can be happier doing it. Exactly. Or moderating. I don't, I don't care how you do it, but you need the right information, and that's what the Freedom Model provides. That's exactly right.
So I think we've made our case today. I think so. <laughs> I, I really hope to get a lot of comments on this. And listen, if, if you like this podcast, please rate it. Uh, it helps us to get more exposure. If you felt this was, if you felt this was, yeah, and share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Um, share it with your family. Sometimes we uh, we do topics that really interest families as well. Um, and I am going to read my final spiel and give you all the information on how you can contact us. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Um, soberforever.net provides detailed information about our residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. And thefreedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program. You can get digital editions of our, our full books. They're free to our podcast listeners um, at thefreedommodel.org. Enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout for either the Freedom Model for Addictions or the Freedom Model for the Family, or both of them. You can get paperback and Kindle versions on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. Um, if you have questions, you can always call us at 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three private Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences, breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, moving beyond addiction and recovery, and families moving beyond addiction and recovery. And if you need detox, and we do when we say treatment, nobody needs treatment. There are some people that do need medical detox help. Um, you can call our friends at Gallus Detox. That's G as in girl, A-L-L-U-S-Detox.com. Um, and they will help you even if you want to detox off of Suboxone or Methadone. They'll help you do that. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.